Well, welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm one of the teaching pastors, and I want to give a big old shout out to all of you joining us at another campus. Maybe you're on the internet campus or in Columbia or in Asheville. We are thankful that you're joining with us this weekend. also want to give a big old shout out to Crossroads Church. We are so thankful for you and just thankful that we get to uh, go along this journey with you guys and, and what God's going to be teaching us this weekend. We're thankful to have you here. Uh, you know, it's always an honor for me to be able to teach on God's Word and to be up here, but this series is a special honor. See, about a year ago, I read this book called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, and I realized after reading it, it's going to be one of the most transformational books to my parenting uh, that I'll ever read. And so to be doing a series now that's really based and founded on this book uh, is just such a blessing for me to be up here and to be teaching God's Word about it. And uh, it's been cool hearing about how many families and parents have I've just been challenged and encouraged during this series. But more than that, I've seen how so many young people, so many singles, college students, 20-somethings, have been radically challenged by this series as well. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we did the Fight for the Heart Challenge, and I had a young guy in his uh, early 20s, he was a single guy, come up to me and said, hey man, can I participate in the challenge too, because I just want to impact the next generation. And I thought, that's it. I mean, that's where it's at right there. And I love the tagline for this series. Uh, I love the, you know, the one-liner that we have because the next generation is worth fighting for. I mean, it's such a cool one-liner. I like it because, number one, it, it's true. They are worth fighting for. But I also love it because there's not a lot of good one-liners in this world. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? There, most one-liners, whether we see them on the church road signs or you know, on a bumper sticker or we've been fed some one-liners or maybe we've even said them, most of them are quite cheesy. I mean, let's see if you and I know some of the same one-liners. Since this is a series that's kind of founded on parenting stuff, how about this one? I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Thanks, Mom and Dad. That really motivated me to excel in life. Or how about God helps those who? Man, if that's true, we are all doomed, like just done for. I mean, if God only helps those who help themselves, then... Some of the important things in life, say uh, salvation, uh, is going to be pretty tough for us because we can't help ourselves at all in some of those things. Uh, how about the early bird gets? Yeah, we all know the same cheesy one-liners. I mean, what is up with that? So you're saying if I wake up before everybody else and if I start working before everybody else, the most that I'm going to get is a worm? I am sleeping in today. That's all I'm saying. Or how about one of my personal favorites? I'm a lover, not a... What? That's so weird. I mean, anybody that says that, you can pretty much guarantee that they're neither. I mean, and <laughs> the, the reality is it's only used by guys trying to impress a girl. I mean, you've never seen in a movie where two dudes are standing in an alley, or maybe you've randomly walked past a back alley and seen two guys standing there ready to fight, and no one else is around, and one guy's like, hey, man, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> like, that would just be awkward if that was the case. But I think it's weird not just because of that, but because the statement is just not true. I mean, all of us in this place and at every campus and every church, all of us are fighters in our lives. Now, before you check out of this message just three minutes in, hear me out a little bit. What I'm, not, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that everybody's a fighter. What I'm not saying is everybody likes to fight physically, okay? Those would be like boxers or MMA fighters or people that are just angry all the time, you know? I'm not saying that we're all like that. I'm also not saying that we all look like we're fighters, okay? There are some people that just look like they can fight, like our North Charleston campus pastor, Sam Lesky. Looks like a fighter. You know, for those of you at Crossroads, maybe Pastor John Eastlick comes to your mind. Now, I've got to stop right there for a moment. Pastor John, I just need to let you know that Pastor Greg's been telling some pretty tall tales around here about how he's taking you down a few times. And if those are true, I just want to let you know that the, uh, the legend of John Eastlick, his stock has dropped drastically. Just saying. 
Just saying. So what I'm not saying is that we all like to fight physically. I'm not saying that we all look like fighters. But what I am saying is that every person listening to this is a fighter. You see, by definition, a fighter is this. Someone with the will, the courage, and determination to strive vigorously for or against something. Let me repeat that. It's someone with the will, the courage, and determination to strive vigorously for or against something. Now, based on that definition, every single one of us in this place is a fighter. And for some of us, that plays out in our arguments. We love to win arguments. We love to be right, and we're a fighter there. For some of us, this plays out in our families. You know, someone does something to our kids or says something about our spouse, and we just kind of rise up, and we want to fight against that. For some of us, we see this play out in our driving. You know, you don't care, uh, uh, you know, how fast you're going or how you need to get there. You don't care about who you cut off or who you make mad. You're just going. You're a fighter. Now, I could probably claim all three of these in my life, but probably where I see this fighter nature rise up the most is in my competitive spirit. Now, if you know me, you know I'm extremely competitive. And if you don't know me, then I may become your least favorite pastor after today's message. I mean, I'm the type of guy that I literally have to consciously tell myself to let my two-year-old son win at any game we're playing. That's the reality. I mean, anytime we pull up to the line at a red light, my, my wife sometimes has to say, Ernest, what are you doing? Because I want to burn anybody off the line. And I drive a minivan. It's been hard these days. It's been rough. You know, but, I, but I'll just show you how deep this, this competitive nature, this fighter spirit really goes inside of me. Uh, uh, it, I was playing in the, uh, the, the Seacoast Flag Football League here uh, a few years ago, and I was the coach of the team. And so my team consisted primarily of high school students and me and my wife, Sarah. And this one particular game, things were getting pretty rough, pretty physical. And I mean, of course, it wasn't our team that was being physical. It was the other team. And uh, my wife keeps coming back into the huddle, and she keeps saying, Ernest, I'm being pushed around. This girl keeps pushing me every time off the line. And that made me upset for two reasons. Number one, I don't like anybody pushing around my wife. But number two, and probably most importantly, it was preventing us from winning the game. And so she comes back into the huddle, set, uh, I mean, after like four, five, six, seven times, something like that, just the whole game, it seemed like it was happening. She comes back in, and she says it again, and I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm tired. And so Pastor Ernest, the great mentor to these high school students, the spiritual leader of his home says, well, push her back. <laughs> Not realizing the power of my words, my wife pushes the girl back the next play. She trips over her own feet, falls to the ground, and breaks her arm. Yep, there it is. Pastor Ernest, spiritual leader of his home, commands his wife to push a girl, and in turn, she breaks her arm. And I know what some of you are saying, Ernest, was winning really that important that a girl would break her arm? Let's move on. <laughs> I could definitely be a fighter. Definitely be a fighter. But, what I, but hear me out, okay? I'm not saying that all fighting is wrong. I mean, when a girl ends up breaking her arm, maybe that's not that great, but... There are times in our lives that we should be fighting. And there are ways that, that to fight that are right and that are biblical. I mean, the Bible teaches us all throughout that we should be fighters in certain areas of our life. And in one such passage, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see where Moses is commanding us to fight. Now, this is a passage that Pastor Greg started off this whole series with. He revisited it last week. And so I just want to revisit it again and kind of expand a little bit on this passage. You see, up until this point, the people of Israel, they're about to enter into the promised land. 
I mean, they've been wandering the desert, desert for 40 plus years. Moses, their leader, he's about to pass away and then they'll enter into the promised land. So Moses is giving them these, these kind of like final statements, these final commands, these last truths that he wants to teach them. And some of them, man, they're, they're pretty powerful. I mean, he's teaching them about the faithfulness of God and the provision of God and the promises of God. He's teaching them to worship God, to fear God, to obey God. I mean, they're learning some powerful truths. But then nestled away in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see this one statement, or rather this command that Moses makes. And it's so important that he commands the same thing over a dozen times over the next few chapters. And in fact, it's so important that Jesus reiterates the same command, and he says this is the greatest commandment. It's one that many of us have heard before. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. If you don't have your Bibles, it's cool. We've got it on your message notes. It'll also be up here on the screen. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4 and 5, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, most of us have heard this passage before. So this isn't really anything new, right? I mean, this passage is found so deep into the Bible that surely this isn't something new for the people of Israel. I mean, it's found in Deuteronomy, the fifth, the fifth uh, book of the Bible. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is the 159th chapter of the Bible. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, 5, which is the 5,092nd verse of the Bible. And the verse starts with the word love, which is the 134,033rd word of the Bible. I mean, it's deep. So surely they've been taught this before, right? Surely they've been told to do this before, right? Well, not really. You see, up until this point, there's been a lot of passages, passages that talk about um, God's love for humans or, or our love for one another. But there's been very few passages that talk about our love for God. And we've seen some of the passages about the great men and women of the faith and how they express their love to God. But this is the first time that Israel has explicitly been taught to love God with everything they have. Don't believe me? Look at the Ten Commandments. I mean, these were the things that God gave to Moses to say, hey, guys, I need you to follow these 10 things. Number one, don't have any other gods before me. Number two, don't have any idols. Number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, don't murder anyone. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't lie. And 10, don't want what isn't yours. I mean, it's like a list my mom would give me before summer camp. I mean, it's there's nothing in there that says love God with everything that you have. There's nothing in there about that. So why not? I mean, why wouldn't God put that in the Ten Commandments? Because the people should have already known to do that. The people should already know to love God with everything they have, that God shouldn't have to insert that in the Ten Commandments. See, the Ten Commandments are, should be the result of our love for God. Because we love God this much, here's the result. We do these things. It's kind of like if a, a man and woman meet and they, they get married and the wife says, okay, I just need you to do three things. Pick up your clothes, put the toilet seat down, and don't pee in the shower. Those are like a woman's top three commandments. <laughs> and so after a couple years, they're, you know, they're, they're having some issues in their relationship and they go see a counselor. The man says, I just don't get it. I mean, she told me all I have to do is pick up my clothes, put the toilet seat down, and don't pee in the shower. And I do those things and it, and it still doesn't seem like I'm satisfying her. And the counselor turns to the woman with tears streaming down her face. She says, you just don't get it. I mean, those things are great, but what I want is your heart. And because you love me so much, then you'll do these things. You see, I think God's very similar to that. That God's, God's not looking for blind obedience. Obedience without love leads to legalism. 
And that leads to distance, relationship, separation of the heart, all of those things. God ultimately is looking for us to love him so much that our love leads to obedience. Anytime you love someone, you're willing to be obedient to them. So God is looking for that, but unfortunately we get this wrong so many times. So many times we, we walk around, we kind of have like this spiritual checklist. Like if I just do these things in my life, then God will be pleased with me. God will be happy with me. He'll see that I love him. If I go to church a certain number of times a week and if I read the Bible for a certain amount of time, if I pray at every single meal, uh, if I join a small group, if I'm uh, uh, changing a baby's diaper in the nursery, whatever it is, God's got to be happy with me if I do these certain things. But, you know, God ultimately is saying, what I want is I want a relationship with you. I want you to love me with all that you have, and because of that love, then you'll be obedient. You see, I think the people of Israel, that's where they are. I mean, they're obedient. They do the Ten Commandments. They hold to those Ten Commandments. But Moses is saying, guys, you just don't get it. What I need you to do is I need you to love God with everything that you've got. I need you to give God everything. So he says, love God with all your heart, love God with all your soul, and love God with all your strength. Put it in layman's terms, love God with everything. I mean, the message translation puts it this way. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all that you've got. Moses is saying, guys, I need you to love him. Give him everything. Ultimately, what I think Moses is saying is he's saying, I need you to fight, to fight for your relationship with God, to fight to love him. I think Moses is standing up there and just saying, hey, guys, you just don't get it. It's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about this relationship with the Lord. It's about this relationship with God that we have to vigorously fight for, that we have to go after, that we have to seek him and to know him. And Moses is saying, fight for the Lord, fight to love him with all of your heart. It won't be easy. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be things that draw you away from him or want to draw you away from him, but don't let them. Fight. Fight to love God with all your soul. It won't be easy. There's going to be times that you're tired. There's going to be times that you feel lonely. You feel desperate, despairing, and don't give up. Fight. Say love God with all your strength. It won't be easy. You're going to get tired. You're going to want to stop doing things that you're doing for the Lord, but don't. Fight. Moses is ultimately saying, you've got to fight. Over the next few chapters, he tells the people, you're going to face a lot of opposition. There's going to be a lot of people that come against you, but when that opposition comes, keep fighting for God. And then he says that there's going to be a time of great prosperity. There's going to be times where you don't have to worry about where you, where you lay your head at night. You don't have to worry about food or anything like that, there's, don't, but don't be content. Don't settle. Fight for the Lord. He's telling them to fight in their relationship. And I think ultimately, if Moses were standing here before us, he would treat us very similar to the Israelites. He would say, guys, let me teach you some powerful truth. You've got to fight for what is most important. You've got to be willing to fight for what is most important. I think if Moses were standing up here, he would say, you have to be willing to fight for what is most important in your life. So then the question that rises in my mind is, what is most important in my life? Now, let me give you two things, two things of most that, are, that should be most important in your life. Number one, you've got to fight for your relationship with God. Fight for your relationship with God. Did you know that your relationship with God is the most important relationship that you'll ever have? I know for some of us that may be a surprise, but there's no other relationship in your life that determines your eternity. Let me repeat that. There's no other relationship in your life that determines your eternity. Not like later today, not like tomorrow, your eternity. How many of you think your eternity is important? Anybody? Good. 
Your relationship with God determines that. And as if that wasn't enough, your relationship with God helps you to understand what your purpose is and helps you to live out that purpose. You see, God created you. So without a relationship with him, there's no possibility of us knowing why we are here and what we are to do and giving us the power to do that. It's only in your relationship with God that you can determine what your purpose is and then be able to live out that purpose. And as if your eternity and your purpose wasn't enough, your relationship with God is the only place that you're going to find everlasting satisfaction and joy. It's the only place. There'll be other relationships in your life that will make you happy, but this is the only relationship that will bring you everlasting satisfaction and everlasting joy. The only one. So Moses is saying, you've got to fight for your relationship with God. You've got to fight for him. If I were to be honest, this isn't easy. For most of us, it's not easy for me. I've been walking with the Lord for about 16 years now, and there have been times where things have been great. I mean, you know those seasons where everything seems to be just going perfect. I mean, you open up the Bible and it speaks exactly to the situation that you're going through or, or every prayer seems to be answered. And the Georgia Bulldogs are beating the Gamecocks every year and Tim Tebow is a quarterback of your favorite football team. I mean, you know those times where everything's great. But then there's also those, those rough times, those dark moments of the soul, the, the times it almost feels like God's playing a sadistic game with us. We feel like our time with him is very dry. Our prayers go unnoticed. Spurrier will never retire. And Tim Tebow gets traded to the Jets. I mean, it's just rough. You know those times. Those dark moments of the soul. And I think God is saying that no matter if you're in a time of prosperity, where things are going great, or whether you're in a time of, of sorrow and, and darkness, where things can't seem to, to ever get better, God's saying fight. Fight for your relationship with him. You know, I liken it to a game that I play with my son, Wyatt. We play a game called hide and seek. And most of you have played this game before. And you know that the goal of playing hide and go seek is to, to not be found if you're playing with friends. You know, if you're playing hide and go seek with friends, the goal is not to be found. But if you're playing with a two-year-old and your goal is not to be found, that's just weird. Like you're really messed up. Something's wrong with you. I mean, the goal of playing with my son is to be found. If I, if I didn't want to be found, I could go into a room, lock the door, and Wyatt will never find me. He'll give up eventually, right? But the goal is to be found by him. So we start the game, and, and I'll run around the kitchen a few times, and I'll run around the house, and as I get out of sight, I'll jump into, like, one of our coat closets, or I'll jump into the pantry, and, and I leave the door cracked just a little bit, so if, he, if he'll notice it, he'll know where I am, and I'm just kind of standing there, and he's, ha, 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 dad, 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 you know, and he's kind of running around, he's like, it's like he just keeps running right on by me. And he does that a couple times. And finally, eventually, he'll slow down long enough and he'll look and he'll realize that the door is cracked. And it wasn't like that before because he shuts every door in our house. And he realizes it's cracked. So dad, dad must be in there. He goes over, opens, and we enter into this great big embrace. And I think God's very similar. That sometimes it feels like he's playing this game of hide and go seek. But the goal of that game is not to never be found, but it's to be found. God wants to be found by us. God yearns for us to enter into a warm embrace with him. And I think some of us in this place today, if you were to be honest, you would say, man, that's where I am in my relationship with God. I'm just struggling. I feel like I'm seeking him and I feel like I haven't found him. And my encouragement to you is to don't give up. Don't give up. I mean, if my son Wyatt were to give up and to go start playing with his toys, not only would it be weird for dad to just be standing in the closet, but he would never experience what it was like to be embraced by his father. And I think if we give up in our relationship with God and seeking him, 
will never experience what it's like to be embraced by the Father. You see, God wants you to know him. God wants you to find him. And so what does that mean for you? I don't want to give you a long list of, of things to do because I don't want to create legalism in your life. But the reality is most of us don't struggle with legalism. We struggle with doing nothingism. And we just really don't do a whole lot more to improve our relationship with God than currently what we're doing. So let me just give you a few things. One, you can go to church more often. You know, if you're going once a month or once every other week, go every week. Realizing that the church is a place where not only we can worship God and have fellowship with others, but hear the word of God spoken to us and be challenged by the word. Maybe we need to read the word, read, read God's word, read the Bible more. What is more for you? I don't know. More may be every day, more may be once a week, more may be once a month, more may be actually getting a Bible. If you need a Bible, if you can't understand the one that you have, then man, we want to encourage you. We have Bibles at every campus that we want to give to you. Please don't leave here today without getting one. If you don't have one, if you don't have one, you can't understand. You know, it's very difficult to complain that God isn't speaking to me if I'm not reading the number one way he's chosen to communicate to me. Let me repeat that. It's very difficult for me to complain that God isn't speaking to me if I'm not reading the number one way he chooses to communicate to me. So read the Bible more. Maybe you need to pray or pray more. I know for some of us, that's kind of a scary thing. It's, I don't really know how to do that. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And I know if that's you, my encouragement to you is this. Read Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Read it. In, in, in that chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us an illustration of how we are to pray. And if you're struggling in your prayer life, if you don't really know what to say or what to pray, then my encouragement to you is to read that prayer and pray that prayer every day for the next 30 days. That's my challenge to you. For every day for the next 30 days, read that and pray that prayer and watch God not only answer your prayers, but watch him develop your prayer life. But don't just do nothing. Be willing to fight for the Lord. Be willing to seek him. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God wants to be found. He wants to be found so that you can experience the embrace of a father. Seek him with everything you have. And we've got to fight for what's most important in our lives. And the most important thing in our life is our relationship with God. Secondly, we've got to fight for what's most important, we've got to fight for our relationships with others. Fight for your relationships with others. Did you know that every relationship has fighting in it? It doesn't matter if it's with your spouse or with a friend or with your kids or with a person at work or whoever. Every relationship has fighting in it. You either fight with someone or you fight for someone. When you fight with someone, you're, you, you want to win. You want to win the argument. You want to win the battle. You want to win whatever the situation is. You know, my personality, I have a very strong personality. Let me, in fact, let me just read you what the latest personality test says about me. It says this, Ernest is the type of individual who under pressure has a tremendous sense of urgency and need to get things done. Nothing bores Ernest more than the status quo, things becoming routine, and people always agreeing or pretending to agree. Amen. He is aggressive and confident. He is dominant, forceful, and a direct person who wants to be seen as an individualist. Boil all that down, it simply means that I have the tendency to fight with people a lot. <laughs> I do. I want to win at everything. I want to win on the field. I want to win in business. I want to win at home. I want to win when I'm driving. I want to win at everything that I do. That's just the innate nature in me. But God's been teaching me this lately, that Ernest, you can win the battle, but you may lose the heart in the process. 
Now, I'm going to repeat that because that may be the most profound thing that somebody hears today. That you may win the battle, but you may lose the heart in the process. See, God wants us to fight for people, not with them. When you fight with people, you lose the ability to fight for them. So let me ask you this. Who have you been fighting for lately? Fighting for someone means that you want them to win, that you want them to succeed. Who have you been fighting for lately? I'm not, uh, not, not the person that it's easy to fight for, but have you been fighting for someone that you usually find yourself fighting with a lot? Say it's a friend. You find yourself in a relationship that used to be great at one point, but now you, you don't talk a whole lot, or maybe you've been arguing a lot with this friend, or maybe you just don't speak to them at all. Fight for them. Tell them how much you value them. Tell them how much you miss conversations with them. Fight for them. When you fight for a friend, you'll realize that your friends will begin fighting for you. Maybe it's in a relationship with a spouse or some other loved one where since something happened or something was said, just things aren't the same. You find yourself fighting with that person a lot. My encouragement to you is to fight for them. Fight for your spouse. Tell them how much you love them, how much they mean to you. Take them out on a date, buy her flowers, write him a note, do something. And when you begin fighting for your spouse, you realize that your heart will change, even if theirs never does. When you fight for your spouse, you'll realize that your heart will change, even if theirs never does. And for some of us, maybe it's been a long time since we fought for our child. I know for some of you who don't have a kid, you, you, you're like, man, that sounds weird. But for those of us that do, you understand. And maybe you've been in a season where your kids are just getting on your nerves and you find yourself arguing with them and yelling at them a lot. Or maybe your kids are in a place where they don't want anything to do with you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to be surrounded by you. Fight for your kids. Next time, instead of yelling at them for not taking out the trash, do it for them. Or better yet, do it with them. Instead of yelling at them for not cleaning up the room, go in there and help them clean up the room and then take them to a movie afterwards or to a sporting event or something. Dads, take your daughters out on a date. Show her how a man should truly treat a woman. Moms, tell your son how much you value him. And don't just say, I value you, but, but speak words of life to him. Say specifically what it is about his character that you enjoy, that you love, that you value. Fight for your kids. When you fight for your kids, you may not win every battle, but you will win their heart. And then dads, just a shout out to you, fight for your families. Husbands, fight for your families. Let's be the spiritual leader that God calls us to be, and let's fight for them. Let's start praying for our family. Pray for them at food when you go eat today. Pray for them tonight before you go to bed. Pray before you go off to work tomorrow. If you don't know what to pray, it's okay. If you don't know how to pray, it's okay. Your kids aren't looking to you. Your family's not looking to you to be this great prayer warrior. They're simply looking to you to lead them. So dads, pray for your families. You see, I think Moses is saying, guys, we've got to fight. We've got to fight for what is most important in our lives. And what's most important is our relationship with God. We've got to fight for him with everything that we have. And then second, we've got to fight for our relationships with others. Whether we're right or they're right or we're wrong or whatever, God wants us to fight. You know, I think as I was preparing this message, I really felt like the Lord said, there's a question that I have to ask and, and give an answer to, because there's going to be a question that many of you are asking in this place today. And that question is this, what happens if you feel you already lost the battle and the person's heart? 
What happens if you already feel like you've lost the battle and the person's heart? There's some of us in this place, you feel like there's really no hope that you've kind of already gone too far down the path. You've already separated in some way from a kid or from a, a, a spouse or from a friend or whatever. Let me just give you two words of encouragement. Number one, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. If you're still alive, there's still hope. Whether you've lost a battle once or twice, or maybe you've won multiple battles, but you've lost the person's heart in the process, don't give up hope. Our God is a big God, and he can reconcile and do anything that he wants. In Psalm 33, 20, it states, we, hope, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. You know, our God is a big God, and he can do mighty and great things. And he can repair any relationship that has been destroyed by the enemy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that God is in the ministry of reconciliation. Like that's his business. Like that's what he specializes in. Like this is what God does is he reconciles people. He reconciles man to himself and then man to man, people to people. That's what he does. So if you're still alive, there's hope because our God is a big God and he can reconcile any relationship. He can heal any relationship. No matter how far it seems gone, have hope that God can do the impossible. He can do big things. He can reconcile that relationship. Don't lose hope. And number two, seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is the only means to reconciliation. It's the only way to get it. And you got to remember, forgiveness is not for you. It's, for the, it's not for the other person. It's for you. A lot, of people, a lot of times people think that, you know, if I forgive someone, it like releases them from what they've done. You see, forgiveness simply releases you from holding on to the stuff that you're holding on to. As Pastor Greg says, it rele- you've got to release the right to get even. When you forgive someone, you're saying, I'm no longer going to be held down by this anger, by this bitterness, by this pain, by this hatred. No more. I'm done. I'm forgiving. And some of us today, we simply need to forgive. Forgive a coworker or a friend or a parent or a child, a loved one in our life. We've got to be willing to forgive. And for some of us, we've got to be willing to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you've played a part in that separation. Maybe you've played a part in that battle that, that happened. And you've got to be willing to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry, and to ask for forgiveness. Reconciliation only happens through us seeking forgiveness. So may we seek that. In Colossians 3, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So I'm a lover, not a fighter. I hope not. I hope that I'm both. And that I love people so much that I'm willing to fight for them. And I hope that we as a church here at Seacoast and at Crossroads, that we as the Big C Church would be characterized as people who love people enough that we fight for them. That we love our spouses enough, our friends enough, our kids enough, our coworkers enough, those who don't know Jesus enough. That we love people enough that God has placed in our life. And most importantly, that we love God enough to fight for them, knowing that God is fighting for us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. God, I thank you first and foremost that you fight for us and that you sent Jesus Christ to die for us 
so that we could live eternally, so that we could experience everlasting joy and satisfaction and know our purpose and why we are here. Thank you for that, God. Thank you that you fought for us. Now, Father, I pray that today that God is, you've put people into our hearts and in our minds about people we need to fight for. I pray, God, that you would allow us to respond the way that you want us to respond. If it's going to them and asking them for forgiveness or it's, it's giving them forgiveness or uh, it's going to them and telling them how much they mean to us or, or taking our daughters out on a date or whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would just guide us and may we begin fighting for people in our life. And Father, the moment when we start fighting with someone this week, God, may we stop and may we turn it around and start fighting for them. Father, I pray that you would give us hope for those in this place that feel like they've just kind of gone too far in a relationship and they've just messed things up. God, I pray that they would realize there is always hope. That God, you are a big God who specializes in reconciliation. Thank you for that. I pray that, Father, we would fight for you and for those in our lives. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.